I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> this is the only woohoo you're getting out of me this episode. Yes. <laughs> this is a- the only one you're getting. Yeah, we have a, a kind of a dark episode this week, um, but we hope you enjoyed the bright happiness that was Goth Dad. I don't know how happy some of that was. Yeah, I re-listened to it, it today was, and I was like, gosh, we talked about some dark stuff, but it was deep. It was deep. Yeah, yes. yes. But we had a great time. And thanks again to Dusty for spending time with us. Um, but yeah, this week is uh, John and Jane Doe's. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I think we have some news to Absolutely. cover. Absolutely. Um, I'm very excited to report. And uh, if you're a true crime aficionado, you've probably heard of this case, but a re- an arrest has been made in the uh, 2012 murder of Faith Hedgepeth, who was an indigenous student in at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um not going to say his name because it's not important, but his DNA matched DNA that was found at the crime scene. So good on the police for following up and, you know, keeping on that case and, you know, prayers, love and light to her family. I'm so glad they're getting some kind of closure with, with that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, um, these are kind of evergreen, but um, there there was some resolution in the Gabby, Gabby Petito case, which right. love and light to her family. Um, that's a hard thing. I hope her killer, whose name I won't be saying because it's absolutely the most ridiculous name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, yeah. and, also and I'm from the South. Alleged. Alleged. Well. Don't, don't sue me. Um, I have no money. You will get nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, there is another missing persons that we do want to shed some light on because he mm-hmm. is from a community that doesn't really get light shed on them very much. Um, Southern Illinois student. Um, he is a grad student. His name is Jelani Day. He's missing from Bloomington, Illinois. Um, seems to be a very nice looking young man. He's in grad school. So, you know, he's definitely, I'm sorry, Illinois State University, not Southern Illinois University. I'm still new here. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's very close with his mother. His mother hasn't seen him. Um, he was last seen at a dispensary um, and then they found his car. So if you know anything, uh, please you know, let the Bloomington, Illinois Police Department know. Um, also check out the hashtag on Twitter, find Jelani, J-E-L-A-N-I Day. Um, and, you know, help boost that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the energy around the Gabby case somewhat. Um, there's a lot to be said about the true crime community just going a little bit overboard sometimes. Um, but we really need to be using that energy, not just for pretty white ladies with robust Instagram accounts. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I think one of the big points of this, you know, of this podcast, of the work that we try to do, my story today is going to be that these other people matter too. Right. And mm-hmm. it, we absolutely want to shed light on them. So again, um, love and light to Jelani's family right now. I cannot begin to imagine 
what yeah. they're going through. And if you can boost anything about him, um, if you know anything, just do whatever you can to help with this case. Cause it's, it's absolutely devastating for the family. Yeah. And um, to touch back on Gabby's case for just a second, um, it appears that she appears allegedly, I don't know, I don't have a right. lawyer, so I can't look this stuff up, but it appears she was in a domestic violence situation. Um, and if you were going through that yourself, please know that you're not alone and that um, domestic violence knows no gender, no age, no income, uh, no neighborhood. It domestic comes violence, in- it, 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 it can affect anyone just like a disease can. It's just something that is it is very prevalent in our society, unfortunately. And if you're in that situation, you are not alone and you can escape safely. It's very scary to do so. Trust me. I know. Um, but there is help out there. There are resources. A lot of times if you visit domestic violence shelter websites or websites that help you get out of such situations they will have a panic button that you can hit on the website and it'll take you like back to google like all of a sudden so you know if your abuser sees that they won't suspect because it's it's an easy way out so there there are ways to do that and i i hate that i can't say there are domestic violence hotlines and things like that i don't know them off the top of my head and i should but um but either way there's just some, know we'll, that you're we'll not put some on our socials. Yeah. Right. Cause there's some that you can do through texting. Um, yeah. and just remember they don't have to hit you for it to be domestic. Right. Violence, That's exactly it to be right. Abuse. That is comes exactly in many right. different forms. Right. It's yes, it does. financial. It's emotional. It's psychological. Yeah. It's all kinds of different ways. You're not being hysterical. You're not no. overthinking it. And it's you, not your fault. It is absolutely not your fault. Predators Never. know I how to don't find care prey. What. Sorry, um, I get off on this. I, uh, no, absolutely. It's a personal thing for me, but no, I no, absolutely. Anyway, predators will always know how to find prey, and there was absolutely yes. nothing you could have done to prevent it. Exactly, hundred percent. Right. Okay, so please, now, we love with you. That, <laughs> with that, and one in our audience, we love Ooh. you, um, and we send you hugs. Okay, yes, but yeah, bring the mood need, down. Right. If you do need anything, you can reach out to us too. Yeah. And we'll we'll do, we'll do what we our can. level best to get you to resources. So oh, with that in mind. Okay. So yeah. trigger warning. Lori, as the mama of the group, do you have Tila? Is Tila close? She is not close, <laughs> but I am I have mentally prepared okay. myself. Okay, what we are about to hear because we are going to discuss child death um, and also child abuse. So um, just just prepare for that. Um, it's going to suck. But I promise that the story is actually a, it's not a beautiful story, but it's a worthwhile story to tell. And there's so, closure. Of there some is kind closure. There yes. is. So it's. There's. Let's just get into it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You have been warned. In April 2001, Kansas City, Missouri police were searching an area called Hibbs Park for a missing elderly man. What they would find would be so much more devastating. Police found the nude, headless corpse of a small black girl. Because of the devastating injuries to her body, the best the coroner could estimate was between three and six years old. Three days later, about 100 yards away, a volunteer searcher found her head. 
dubbed Precious Doe by investigators. Her identity was a mystery. A child this age should have been reported missing, but there were no missing children matching her description. Alonzo Washington, a Kansas City activist and one-time mayor pro tem of Kansas City, advocated strongly to find her identity and her killers. Shows like Cold Case Files and America's Most Wanted discuss the case. She was actually exhumed at one point so that they can make a better 3D representation of her face um, as technology improved. In 2005, her identity was discovered and the true horror of her short life was revealed. Precious Doe was born Erica Michelle Marie Green on May 5th, 15th, 1997 in an Oklahoma prison. Her mother, Michelle Johnson, was serving time and signed her over to a family friend. Erica's father, Larry Green, was never notified of his daughter's birth. Even when Michelle Johnson was released from prison, she didn't take guardianship of her daughter. But on April 4th, 2001, she picked up the child from the guardian to take her to what she said was a family reunion in Kansas City. At that time, Michelle was married to a man named Harrell Johnson. On April 28th, Erica's beaten and mutilated body was found. Alonzo Washington never gave up on the case, declaring as a father he did not want people to, quote, forget there was a child discarded like trash. Washington placed ads in newspapers about the case, offered a $33,000 reward, and even penned a comic book about the lost little girl. A man who had not seen his small granddaughter in a long time answered the ad. The grandfather presented photos and a hair sample he had surreptitiously taken from Michelle to the police. The photos were actually Erica's cousin, but the hair was a match. The Johnsons had gone back to Oklahoma where Michelle's eight other children were in state custody. She'd gotten Mm. all eight of her kids taken away. Eight. Mm. Eight. The couple was quickly arrested and the tragic, unnecessary end to Erica's life was found out. Harrell Johnson was high on PCP when Erica, just shy of her fourth birthday, did what many toddlers do and refused to go to bed. Johnson beat her to death with an ashtray and kicked her several times. The Johnsons took the toddler's body to nearby Hids Park, hidden in a baby stroller. That's how little she was. She could still put her in a stroller. Harrell moved. Okay. Guys, I'm very sorry about this. Harrell removed her head with hedge clippers. They initially hid her head in a dumpster at a church, but Michelle was concerned that people would notice the smell. They wrapped it in plastic bags and dumped it at a separate location instead. Erica was never reported missing, and she would have turned 25 this year. Yeah. The community had interred her as precious doe after her body was found at the Hillcrest Cemetery in Kansas City, which is kind of on the west side of Kansas City, close to Kansas City, Kansas, close to the state line. She was given a new headstone with her true name and a photo of her beautiful baby face. Two concrete benches were placed in Hibbs Park, not far from where her body was found in her memory. It's next to the pickleball court, which pickleball is a thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying guys. It's I'm okay. trying to lighten it. I'm trying okay. to lighten it. 
On October 8, 2008, Harrell Johnson was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. On October 22, 2008, Michelle Johnson was sentenced to 25 years in prison in exchange for a guilty plea to second-degree murder and testimony against her husband. So is she out now? It's been 25 years. Not since 2008. Oh, true. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, old, I, was, baby. I was very angry. I was very I angry. So I thought you were no, no, I no. thought it was going back to the baby's birth no, date. No, no, not yeah, because yeah, she died in two thousand one. So right, right. Even right. if they had convicted her within a year of her death, she would still be well, in prison. She's still going to get out sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. But the <sighs> thing that I do know about prison is that if you're a mother who kills your kid, you don't do well. Mm-mm. Not that I like prison violence. I don't. Right. No. But, but if you murder your baby child. Yeah. Or participate in the murder of your baby right. child, you deserve exactly. all of the abuse that yeah, comes your way. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm a little ticked off that they didn't get the death sentence. I he yeah. needs to have his head cut off with head. Thank splinters. you. That's Thank what you. the fuck needs to happen to him. Yes. Yeah. A I do percent. think that there was some sort of not a plea deal in his case but there was something to where they did there was a reason they took the death penalty off the table um the thing with precious doe too is the community really took her on Mm -hmm. as you know this is our baby Mm -hmm. i mean kansas city has crime we we're not leaving headless babies no, just willy-nilly no. that's that's not and um alonzo washington who is a really great community activist i mean he he was not gonna let anyone forget that this poor right. child had been just discarded like trash and had never been reported missing like nobody cared um yeah. her father larry green also sued the state of oklahoma because his name was on the birth certificate. She had his last name, but he was never notified that she was born. Yeah. And the mother was allowed to just kind of hand her off to whoever. Um, and one article I read, the only verification that the friend of the family who came and took the baby after she was born was her driver's license and a Sam's club card. And oh they gave her the, the baby. That that's all they did. Um, so you know, women are gonna give birth in prison. This is a thing. Um, we do not have a system where women who give birth in prison are allowed to keep their children with them. Um, I think that's a complicated and thorny issue that I do not have the answer to. Right. Um, but her father maybe should have known she existed. Yeah. And maybe you should have been given the opportunity to step up and take care of his kid. And then maybe she would be 25 right now, you know, doing who knows what. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just absolutely just sad from beginning to end. That's not how an almost four year old should mm-hmm. leave this earth Never. ever. Um, but very proud of Kansas city for, you know, number one, never giving up on this case and really, you know, she doesn't have like a poppers headstone. She's a very pretty, I'm sure it was quite expensive, um, headstone. So, and she was, well, I mean, even though I didn't live in Kansas city, I knew about the case just from when I would go visit my grandma. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was definitely a, 
um, you know, a very big case in that community. And dear Erica, wherever you are beyond the veil, I hope that it has been better for you there than it was for you here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for so sharing. sad. And on that note, yeah. Oh God, bless her heart. I yeah, know there's a, there's a lot to say there, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot I can add that's going to be productive or helpful. Yeah, it's just, and I really like, and this was short. It's just, you know, if you have kids in your life and you don't see them for a little while, ask about them. Yeah, say mm-hmm. hey. I ain't seen, you know, little Jethro in a minute. How is little Jethro? Well, good and good on the grandfather. Yes, absolutely. I mean, hair sample and I mean, how must that feel to be turning in your own daughter because you think she had something to do with the death of your granddaughter? I mean, that's a a lot. That is a lot. And, you know, good on him for having the character and the will to do that because it's that's an absolute tragedy from start to finish yep yep well all right Sheena. Okay. right all right well let's are you gonna bring it up from here <laughs> not a whole lot um but i have two separate stories to share okay um and and i just want to say this too when i start off stories with picture it whatever I mean, yeah, it's kind of to be joking, but it's also like, I don't know how to start a story otherwise because yeah. <laughs> I'm not very <laughs> creative. So mm-hmm. I'm doing that with this one, but it's just a way to start the story. Okay. Just be, let me be dramatic. Okay. <laughs> Picture it September 17th, 1989. So, um, however many years ago that was, cause I can't do math. Southern Mississippi. I like to keep things local if I can. <laughs> A young woman's body is found near a rest stop along Interstate 55. She was naked except for a pair of white socks, and she had been strangled to death. And although her killer has been brought to justice, her identity remains a mystery. Mm. And this is the story of Lincoln County Jane Doe. So Lincoln County, for those of you who don't know, and you most probably don't and there's not really a reason to it's in the southern part of mississippi closer to louisiana um than jackson is but it's like south of jackson um but it's not on the coast either it's it's up a little ways um the biggest city in that county is brookhaven it's just fine i've been there once for a clogging workshop (laughs) of course it was for clogging oh yeah lots of cloggers down there and um uh, my friend Cheryl is from there. Um, she once introduced herself as the most popular girl in Brickhaven. And um, <laughs> so shout out to Cheryl. I don't know if, if they're still listening, but hi, Cheryl. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So on Sunday, September 17th, as I said, 1989, a passerby spotted Jane Doe's body lying in some bushes at the rest stop near mile marker 26 around noon. Uh, initially they thought she was between 17 and 20, but later they thought maybe she was older than that, like maybe in her thirties. The reason for this, there were some initial reports, initial, initial, initial that said maybe she had down syndrome and that's Mm. why she, she could have been older, but appeared younger, Mm. but that was only mentioned once by one investigator. And I, I think they've taken that back since then. And it's, they just, they don't know. And I, it was 1989. Right. Technology mm-hmm. sucked back then. Um, she had brown hair and 
bright blue eyes. I mean, this is why I chose to cover her because as I was going through the list of all the different John and Jane Doe's, I saw her picture and it just grabbed me. And I'm like, whoever she is, I've got to cover her. I had no idea she was found in Mississippi. Um, but the artist drawing that I will post, and it is an artist drawing, it's not a post-mortem photo. I mean, her eyes are just stunning and it's black and white, you know, it's, it's amazing either way. So she is found in 1989, but her identity remains a mystery. A year later in August of 1990, authorities arrested Alfred Ray Case, a man from Brookhaven, who's 27 at the time. And he was charged in the murder of the Lincoln County Jane Doe. Um, I've read this in one place, it, well, many places, and then other like web sleuthy type websites were like, this is not true, but oh, how much can you know? Um, Reddit's a crazy it's place to go. Dark and full <laughs> of terrors. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, they said that uh, she had bite marks all over her body. and bite marks matched his teeth oh but then i've also heard that that was not true and i'm like well then how else did you get him what other evidence was there um he was uh found guilty of manslaughter in june of 1991 um he was a habitual offender so um he was sentenced to 20 years in prison without parole or probation and because he was already serving a 20-year sentence for aggravated assault by the time they arrested him, um, it was against his mother-in-law. Um, oh, because he tried to beat up his mother-in-law. Jesus. Um, this meant he would serve a total of 40 years without parole. He is still alive. He is 58 years old. You can see his uh, not great photo in, on the website. Um, he is, his tentative release date is July 2030. Um Damn. He also had, uh, I mean, as I said, he was a habitual offender. He had a lot of other arrests before this. And um, as I was researching him, I found that he had busted out of jail back in 87 while serving time for grand larceny charges. So he was, he was all over the place. He was so, living hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a newspaper reporter named Nanette Laster. She worked for the Daily Leader in Brookhaven, and she interviewed him in 1998 in prison. And he told her that Jane Doe's name was Jenny Mitty, M-I-T-I. He said she was a sex worker um, who he picked up in, in New Orleans because she looked like his first wife. Okay. okay. He couldn't or wouldn't pay her $200 fee, so he strangled her, stole $400 from her purse, and then dumped her body in Lincoln County. And he claimed he saw her name on her driver's license. But that has never matched up with anyone. That has never, that name does not ring any bells anywhere. Um, so she is still unknown. Uh, some more information about her. She was about 5'2 and between 135 and 145 pounds. Uh, she is, they think of mixed race, um, white and either American Indian or Asian. Okay. Uh, she has freckles, a mole on her neck and a pierced ear. And I could never find if they meant, <laughs> they just said a pierced ear. So I'm like, did she well, just have one? one? 
or did she have them both done? I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the eighties. She could have had the. She could have had just the one. Yeah. I don't know. And there's also a small scar on her forehead. She's really pretty. When you look her up, she's really pretty. She's stunning. I mean, just really <laughs> stunning. Um, she is buried at a Potter's Field in Rose Hill Cemetery in Brookhaven. Her grave reads: Jane Doe, young murder victim, found at rest stop, I-55 South, September seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine known but to god mm-hmm. so if you happen to be in brookhaven please stop by that cemetery and maybe take her a flower i think that'd be a nice thing to mm-hmm. do that would be yeah and she is still um as i said unidentified so go look her up and, and ask your family members maybe if you know if they recognize her right um especially if they lived in new orleans or in south mississippi um you know it you never know you never know exactly so to wrap up a very dark story with another very dark story (laughs) but that is weird and almost a local legend i wanted to share the story of molly and pap doe so molly and pap were the nicknames given to two unidentified corpses held in storage in the mortuary at short ridge funeral home in Inslee, which is a suburb of birmingham alabama okay all right so just it gets it gets wild hang on okay uh a longtime resident said that we shortridge who died in 64 had told him when he was a child that the bodies were a couple that the bodies were a two people a couple who had killed each other in an argument in the 30s and they had stabbed each other to death okay and that he had preserved them in case any family member wanted to come and claim the bodies and when no one did as the years go on, he decides to start using them as a model for training his embalmers. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, I mean, they have to train, but you do have to train. And I guess this is how the body stayed decent enough <laughs> between uh, the 1930s and then they're being officially found in 2003 because that's when they're officially found damn um another resident tell me they weren't in like papa's closet or something oh just wait oh all right okay so another resident remembered being told by a funeral director that the two were named richard cloud and molly fleming i do not know if anyone's done the research into you know did those people really exist i think i'm not 100 percent sure i think they may be african-american okay. and we know how people love to not you know yep. check in right. on people yep. of color and make sure that their facts are logged correctly in historical records so i, I yep. don't know <sighs> so after short ridge's widow pinky died in 2003 okay the funeral home closed the building caught fire a year later and then was demolished and the corpses were found in the rubble sweet mother of christ <laughs> this <Bless> prompt, it. <laughs> this prompted an investigation led by jefferson county deputy coroner pat curry and curry determined that the two elderly people had been previously embalmed and that there had been no evident signs of injury to them even though the rumor was that they had a uh, right stab each other to death that's yeah. not mutual, the case. a mutual stabbing a yes. mutual stabbing yeah so apparently 
it makes me think that they probably were elderly, maybe didn't have a lot of family, or if they did have family, maybe they couldn't afford for their funeral service because funeral services are very expensive right. back in the 30s. And and I think maybe they were took there and then just no one came to get them. That's kind of my, my take on it. Oh my and, and I don't even know if they were even married. You know, right. I mean, it could have just been two people. Question. Right. I really don't know. Um, I, I loved this quote. A local man named Edward Rogers said when he was a child, he first saw the corpses propped up in the back room of the funeral home. He said he was scared at first, but later, quote, then I go by and wave to them through the window. I just oh got God. to liken them. Oh, Jesus. What? They, he just had him hanging out in the mortuary chilling? I think so. And, and like Jesus. I said, I think if, he, if somebody they get did, this little boy some therapy, <laughs> I think if they were indeed being used as, as, you know, training, they would have kept well, theoretically, if they're Could you imagine like rolling in to do Nana's funeral and he'd be like, look at my work, man. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's crazy. And I'm like, you know, it, that makes me sad though, because they did not consent to that. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm all for leaving your body to science because that's how we learn things. But right. if you didn't consent to it, you didn't consent to it. Man, this is a horror movie. This is a fucking <laughs> it's horror movie. Wild. So um, the uh, remains of both were placed in a single coffin. And buried oh. at Lakeview, Lakeview Cemetery in Edgewater. The Scott McPherson Funeral Home uh, donated the burial fee and the granite headstone, which reads, Molly and Pap, we know not the names of these departed souls, but God knows. May they rest in peace. Bless. And yes, they have collected a sample of genetic material from Good. each body. And that has been preserved for possible future identification. Put that shit on 23andMe and start finding yes. some people. I agree. Holy oh, yeah. shit. So, well, that was yeah. like um, the guy who like cleaned out his hoarder mother's house. And there's yeah. like, oh, there's a fetus in the freezer. Yep. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, like, I would love to be surprised Okay, so when my grandmother moved out of her house, you would love to be surprised. Listen, listen, I, I, I no, like... I promise this is actually funny. I'm trying to okay. bring some levity. Okay, well, it's sort of it's my funny. Okay, so when my grandmother was moving out of the house she had lived in like all of my life, I was moving in with my parents. My mom, okay, me and my grandmother were both messy, messy people. We're like possums um or raccoons we we have we like our shiny things close to us um so we were cleaning out the fridge and we found something wrapped in plastic wrap and we're like well what the fuck is this grandma she's like i don't even know so we were like fuck it let's unwrap it it was the top tier to my mother and my biological father's wedding cake Oh my God. <laughs> that if you're Catholic, you're supposed to either eat on your first anniversary or the christening of your first baby. Yep. Well, this was like 30 years after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and a divorce had happened 20 years. <laughs> was your brother that. christened? Because he was indeed christened. And so 
they did not eat the cake then. So I don't do, know if they just uh, I, forgot they had it or what. I think they need to do that again. <laughs> I don't think the first one <laughs> well, took. <laughs> we, we, we did that. We saved our cake. Did you? We were Catholic, but we saved it and, okay. and ate it the first, uh, on our first anniversary. Um, okay. Cause see, I just aren't a bite or two. <laughs> I grew up with like Southern Baptist. So when I would tell, like, be like, oh yeah, you keep the top tier and either do it on the christening mm-hmm. or the, they're like, you do what? I'm like, no, yeah, no, that's, that's, I've heard a lot of people do that. I'm sorry yeah. that you, Baptists, maybe those weirdos you're I know. <laughs> I don't know what those Southern, I mean, you know what? I'm going to be nice before I say something mean. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 30 year old, <laughs> 30 year old wedding cake. Exactly. All I right, was like, Lori. grandma, we're throwing this away. This is bad. <laughs> Juju. Yes. Yeah. Okay, um, Lori, you have an epic tale for us. I, you yes. have been you have been Nancy Drew in this. I have gone a little over the edge. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it. We so love it. and and it was actually really cathartic writing this, writing this out. Um, because my anxiety was just at an all-time high when I was doing my research about this and and writing it helped calm me down a little bit so hopefully sharing it even though I've been bombarding you with Facebook messages about this uh I felt so bad because you guys would get on a roll and I'm like I can't jump in right now because work is currently on fire but I see you yeah Anyway, so we'll, I'll start, you know, it's safe to say that everyone who is a true crime nut has at least one case that keeps them up at night. Um, whether it's John Benet Ramsey or Maura Murray, we all have a case that we obsess over. And for me, that case has become the case of the olive branch Jane Doe, who is also sometimes referred to as the DeSoto County Jane Doe. Okay. Uh, so I, as I just mentioned, I dove deep down the rabbit hole on this one. Um, she's sometimes considered a potential victim of this so-called redhead killer, um, who was also recently named the Bible belt strangler, Oh Jesus! Um, an alleged serial killer who was thought to have killed six to 11 women during the seventies and eighties and dumped their bodies off of major highways, Personally, and and I think honestly, the authorities have kind of phased this out because there were a lot of newspaper clippings from the 80s trying to link these murders. And recently, it's just like they're talking about six potential victims, but the MO isn't the same. Like some of one of them was suffocated and left in a refrigerator. Oh, and, God. And, Another victim was nine to 15 years old and they couldn't tell what color her hair was. So in my mind, they're attributing victims to a potential serial killer that probably aren't necessarily killed by the same person. It's unfortunate that most of these women are found near major highways where there's Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, state state to take state to state travel. And so, you know, it's an unfortunate situation that, you know, and most of these women are probably um, sex workers or uh, from a troubled background and nobody's missing them. Yeah. Anyway. So three of these victims in particular, I feel like are very connected, including 
my olive branch, Jane Doe. Um, they're similar in appearance and cause of death. So I'm going to try to focus on those three women today, starting with olive branch Jane Doe. Um, and I know I mentioned this in our first episode, but when I was in middle school, our, our school was located next to Blocker Cemetery, which was an old cemetery in Olive Branch, Mississippi. When I was in seventh grade, don't remember what class it was, but we went to do, I think it was like etchings at the cemetery. And I remember seeing the grave Jane Doe, you know, I was 11 years old. I didn't know what Jane Doe was. So I asked my teacher and he laid it out for me and said, yeah, she was a woman that was found murdered on the side of highway 78 in the eighties. And so, you know, as, as time went on, I became obsessed with true crime, um, a few years later, and it just kind of always was in the back of my head. Well, I wonder if they're ever going to find out who killed her and who she is. Um, so when we decided that we were going to talk about Jane Doe's John Doe's this week, I knew I needed to dive deeper into her story and boy, oh boy, (laughs) is there a story (laughs) here? Um, I thought it would be short, but that is not the case. (laughs) So Olive Branch Jane Doe was discovered at 7.30 a.m. on September, or no, sorry, January 24th, 1985. Uh, She was spotted by a truck driver who saw her body. Um, She had been dumped near the Coldwater River, about 100 feet from the bridge and 20 feet south of the highway, uh, which is a major thoroughfare for truckers headed from Memphis to Birmingham. and uh, I drive that highway every day. Um, so, so yeah, I, I've passed her uh, where she was dumped numerous times. She had been strangled with a narrow ligature and was found missing her underwear, shoes, and jacket. She was wearing a light peach-colored short sleeve top with Gloria Vanderbilt blue jeans. Oh. And there, there was a possibility that she had been sexually assaulted before mm. her death. An autopsy was ordered and it was confirmed that she had been strangled with a narrow object like a quarter of rope. However, the coroner would not determine a cause of death. She either died from the strangulation or from exposure after she had been dumped. That night, uh, temperatures dipped below 20 degrees uh, in Olive Branch. So she could have died after being dumped. Yeah. Um, And to this day, she has remained unidentified, even though she has very specific characteristics that I feel like would make it pretty easy to identify her. She was believed to be between 20 and 40 years old at the time of her death, weighing between 105 and 130 pounds. She was estimated to be either five foot two or five foot four. She had short, wavy, strawberry blonde hair and gray or brown eyes. She was a heavy smoker and her fingernails were bitten down to the nubs. So it is mm. assumed that she would have been a very anxious person and you would have noticed that mm-hmm. she had a lot of anxiety. She had triple ear piercings in both ears and two oh. tattoos on her right and left ankle. On her right ankle, she had the letters THC and Uh, The left ankle was written in script, so it was hard to make out specifically what the initials were, but it was either R-C-J, R-E-J, or R-E-T. She had had her tubes tied, 
So in my mind, she had to have given birth. Yeah. I mean, they they yeah. wouldn't just they go and do that. Nope. For fun and, they, and yeah, in the eighties, yeah. they wouldn't have gone into tighter tubes without her having birthed a all. child. I would right. think Shit, you can't even do it now. Right. She yeah. had poor dental hygiene. She was missing a front tooth on her lower jaw and her old fillings that were estimated to probably have been done when she was a youth. Mm. Um, and that's really all they, they know about her. So again, they have these very distinctive characteristics, but no one's ever matched her to a missing person. And it's likely that she probably wasn't missed by anyone because she could have very well been a sex worker or a hitchhiker picked up at a truck stop in Memphis and, you know, dumped on their way to their next, next stop. So as I was researching her case, I came across two others that bore striking similarities. And I'm, as I mentioned, I'm not the first person to notice this in the eighties authorities investigated a number of murder victims found in similar manners and the media dubbed the alleged killer, the redhead killer. And then eventually the Bible Belt Strangler. However, only four of the women included in that possible victim pool had the reddish hair, and only three were definitively killed or you know close enough to being killed with strangulation. Obviously, OB Jane Doe, they wouldn't say for sure, but it's probably more likely that she was strangled. Right. Um, that or, or the strangulation is what was the cause of death. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about the other two victims. Both of these were found before Olive Branch Jane Doe. The first was found by a hitchhiker on September 16th, 1984, near an entrance ramp to Interstate 40 in Crittenden County, Arkansas, another major, truck, another major trucking route just outside of Memphis. She had strawberry blonde hair, freckles, and her cause of death was strangulation. She was found semi-nude wearing just a light sweater. Now, it would be nine months before the Crittenden County Jane Doe would be identified as 28-year-old West Virginia native Lisa Ann Nichols. She was also known as Lisa Ann Jarvis and Lisa Ann Fuller. She had previous arrests for prostitution, shoplifting, larceny, robbery, and drug possession. Hmm. Most of these arrests happened in Nashville, Tennessee, where a vice officer named Ryman Buchanan was quoted in a newspaper as saying, quote, she had a drug habit worse than my car has a gasoline habit. Okay. Wow. Yes. And and get, get this and quote, her rap sheet stretches from the ceiling to the floor three times. Sir. Don't editorialize. Just the facts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like, she's still a human being exactly i'm like nice ryman how'd that comedy side gig work out for you exactly um just this is not zanies calm down and this is the only this was taken from the only article i could find that gave any real information about her and how they figured out who she was one article and it was published in Nashville. And this is what this right. douchebag officer who works in vice. So his job is to work, you know, try to, you know, I would think protect sex workers, even though that was not the case, but right. for, for him to come up with the, Oh, look at me. I'm so clever. Yeah. Yeah. Off you fuck Ryman Buchanan. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So she was identified after the detective who was working her murder, followed a lead to Florida, A couple who had let her stay with them for a short time were able to identify her. 
And while he was there, the detective also interviewed a pimp who was in a Florida prison. Oh, dear. He and another sex worker had lived with Lisa while she was in Arkansas. And he's probably the last person to see her alive. Um, He said he saw her getting into a tractor trailer on September 12th, uh, very close to where her body was found. And authorities believe she would have been killed within 24 hours of when she was last seen. Mm. To this day, her murder remains unsolved. Um, Once her body was identified, she was laid to rest at Clover Cemetery in Clover, West Virginia. And she has a very simple headstone. She was estranged from her family. um, So I'm not sure if they claimed her body or if she was just buried where they they were able to, to say she was from. So moving forward a few months on January 1st, 1985, the body of a young woman was found off highway 75, just outside Jellico in Campbell County, Tennessee. The victim had curly shoulder length red hair freckles and green eyes she had previously given birth to a child and was 10 to 12 weeks pregnant at the time Mm. of her death so in it and this is what sets her apart slightly from these other two in addition to dying from strangulation she was bound before she was dumped oh goodness uh, she was found wrapped in a blanket wearing new blue jeans and a white long sleeve dress shirt. They were able to get DNA from the killer uh, from her shirt and blanket during the investigation, but it wouldn't be until 2016 when the detective working her case resubmitted that DNA that a match came back to Jerry Leon Johns, a truck driver who had been arrested two months after this victim and the Olive Branch Jane Doe's bodies were found. Hmm. So before I get into this fucker story, because it's a doozy too, I want to finish um, the Jellico Jane Doe. She remained unidentified for more than 30 years. Oh. In 2018, cold case investigators were told of a blog that shared stories of missing persons. And through a post on that blog, they were able to connect the Campbell County Jane Doe with Tina Marie Farmer, a married 21-year-old with a child who had lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hmm. She, She was last seen on Thanksgiving Day in 1984. After reviewing the blog post, authorities were able to match the fingerprints from the Campbell County Jane Doe with Tina in 2018. But sadly, her daughter had passed away from cancer in 2017. So she was never able to learn what happened to her mother, even though they even no, they knew who killed her before they were able to identify her. Right. But her daughter sadly passed in 2017. um, And according to Find a Grave, her remains were cremated following her identification. That's like in those unsolved mysteries where the orphans find their siblings, right. but they're like, oh, yeah. oh they died in the they 70s. Ju- or they just yeah. missed them by like six months. It's I know. So those heartbreaking. kill yep. me. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of additional, there's, you can go down another rabbit hole with her, her death. Um, you know, she's believed to be estranged from her uh, family after she had gotten married. So there's definitely more to tina's story than what i'm telling here especially because she had gone missing on thanksgiving and she wasn't found until new year's day so oh yeah and she she wasn't 
dead that entire time. Like she was brought from Indianapolis to Tennessee and she had only been dead for a couple of days. So she had been hanging out for a little while. What happened? Why did she, right. How did she get away from her family? So anyway, to this douche canoe, Jerry Leon Johns. Let's do it. Okay. He was a Tennessee truck driver, truck driver. Did I say that? Whatever. He drove a truck. (laughs) He was arrested and convicted of the abduction and attempted murder of an exotic dancer and sex worker who is known only as Tasha. And this happened in March of 1985. On March 5th, 1985, Johns and his brother, Wayne, decided to hit up. Yeah. Decided to hit up the local adult club there. Um, Jerry Johns met Tasha. And she got another dancer together and they agreed that they would follow the brothers to a local hotel and they would be paid $200 for sex. So Jerry, being the clever dick that he was, tore two $100 bills in half and gave her two of the halves. And he stated that she would get the other two halves after they finished their business. (sighs) So they drove separately. Yeah. They drove Jerry. Jerry's yeah. Fuck Jerry. Um, (laughs) They drove separately to the hotel, and Wayne Johns and the other sex worker and dancer went into one room, and Jerry took Tasha into the adjoining room. They did their business. They had sex. She was showering and preparing to leave. He followed her to her car, and when she got there, he forced her into the passenger seat and drove her car to the parking lot of the club where he ripped her t-shirt into strips and tied her hands and feet. Mm. He gagged her mouth and drove down I-40 until he found a spot to his liking and pulled over. Ugh. He forced her into the trees and she asked him, "Is he? are you going to kill me? And he said yes, that she was becoming a nuisance. Oh! She also is reported to have said that he became very angry after he learned that her red hair was not natural. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. He threatened her with a pistol before he took a piece of her shirt, wound it around her neck, and strangled her until he was un- she was unconscious, and he left her in the woods. Somehow, miraculously, she survived this, came to, and Holy crawled- shit out of the woods, up a culvert, and flagged down a trucker for assistance, which was terrifying in and of itself to her. Yeah. Um, She told them what happened, and the authorities were on it. They tracked Johns to the parking lot of the motel, where they saw him pulling in in Tasha's Datsun. He he saw the police. He sped off. So there was a brief chase. Um, However, he crashed, ran off the road and crashed, and was captured. Um, and when authorities brought him in, they found several halves of ripped $100 bills in his belongings. So the fucker didn't even give her the rest of her money. What a fucking dick. Of course not. Yes. So there was enough evidence in Tasha's case to lock him away, even though his family just begged the court to show leniency. It was, oh, he and his wife have fallen on hard times and, oh, they've lost Uh -uh. a child to disease. Not too hard. Yeah. Yeah, he's he just tried to murder. Well, you know, he he just tried to murder this woman who, yeah. you know, nothing can excuse that. Behavior. Right. And they also failed to mention when they were talking about what a great guy he was. And this is why 
you know, they need to sponsor us. I love newspapers.com, Sheena. I Me love too. It. It's my favorite website. Uh, I was able to. So one of the articles I was reading about this mentioned that he had a felony conviction in Mississippi. I'm like, Uh-oh. well, what the fuck did he have a felony conviction for? And I was able to track down an article. He had a felony conviction for bringing a stolen car over state lines in 1968, mm-hmm. and he was sentenced to four years in prison. So he was already a felon before he was 20 years old. And that um, is like the most dirtbaggiest of crimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it was uh, he had brought a car from um, California to um, I'm sorry if y'all hear bring in my uh, insulin pump is yelling at me we're trying to keep her from not dying yeah no it's just i need to it's just reminding me of something i'm good um yeah it was like (laughs) he he drove it from california to i want to say pascagoula oh uh, jesus mississippi (laughs) and he spent did he rob a trailer park while he was at it he spent four or he was sentenced to four years uh for that so mm, he was insane before he even got into the killing part so yeah real big piece of shit and so throughout the mid to late 80s the tennessee bureau of investigation tried to make connections with the murders of women across the south um again estimating about six to 11 of these victims could be potential victims of one person um you know as time's gone by they've kind of gone back and forth as to whether or not that's the case or not but there are similarities in a lot of these these cases johns was always considered a suspect in these killings but according to the articles i found he had airtight alibis around the time of death of some of these victims but i can't find any record of what those alibis were because like if it was his wife well obviously we know that they they will lie for him so i don't know what those alibis were There was also little evidence at the time to link him to any of the victims. That is until the DNA of farmer's killer was re-entered into CODIS and matched John's in 2016. And here's the bad part. So unfortunately, John's died in prison in 2015 Uh at the age of 67. So he could not be brought to justice. However, a grand jury did meet and they determined that had he been alive, there was enough evidence to bring charges against him and they would have found him guilty. What a fucker. Uh, And the entire time this douche canoe was in prison, he was always fighting against uh, his conviction, saying they had the wrong man. He never committed a murder. He even sued Tasha. (gasps) How dare you? Like, a fucking monster i'm yeah. glad he's dead because now i would let's this dig him saying. up yeah. and he's dead. yeah yeah so dave davenport who was one of the original tbi investigators on farmer's case said quote i'd like to have seen him alive and had been there when they said jerry we have your dna on the blanket you wrapped her with your butt is going to jail or the electric chair yeah. i'd like <laughs> this is my favorite part y'all i'd like to have seen that cocky smirk come off his face yeah like yeah dave davenport you go dude <laughs> the only um, cop i like in this so far yes <laughs> well there's another one you're gonna like here in a okay minute. I, and i promise i'm almost done so as the years <laughs> have gone by more and more attention has been brought to the alleged redhead killer bible belt strangler cases there's been a couple of podcasts there's been there was a sociology class somewhere in elizabethton tennessee that did a whole study on this and you know 
right after they did this, they were able to identify Tina's body. Um, But in most instances, Olive Branch Jane Doe is not included on that list, but Lisa Nichols is. And I feel like these two in particular, they are way too similar not to at least be considered that potentially they could be the the same killer. And the only thing that really sets them apart from Tina Farmer is the, the binding. Right. Right. So, you know, how much I mean, killers do change their MOs as they get better at it, as they get older, as they get, you know, their tastes change and what they have on hand. Exactly. So I did reach out to the DeSoto County Sheriff's Department. Look at our girl go. (laughs) (laughs) Which has jurisdiction over the case of the Olive Branch Jane Doe. You know, and as I figured, they couldn't give me much. They said that they do have DNA on file, but they've never been able to match her to a missing person or connected her to any specific killer or other victim. Um, And initially I had reached out to the Olive Branch Police Department, forgetting that they wouldn't have had jurisdiction in the 80s over this area where she was found. And they got back to me and said, you need to call call Mississippi Highway Patrol. So I went to their website and I had the pleasure of speaking with a gentleman named Lieutenant Troy Travis. He is just quite a a name, a delightful, he's delightful. He is the uh, cold case supervisor for the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. Oh, he's a very nice man. Uh, spoke to me on his day off. Um, he wasn't so he wasn't able to provide me with any information, uh, but he did promise he was going to speak to a predecessor who he is pretty sure patrolled North Mississippi around this time, and he he's re- pretty confident that he this predecessor investigated the case in the 80s oh wow um he's gonna look and see if there's a case number it's not likely just because mississippi in the 80s there's yeah, yeah. digitizing files he's not certain there's going to be a case file but he is going to look into it haven't been able to connect back with him but of course if i do find any new information i'll be sure to share it and if you have any information regarding the death of the olive branch jane doe you can contact detective mundy quinn at the desoto county sheriff's department the phone number is 662-469-8523 you know his name sounds like a character from a tv show like <laughs> it I don't does know what character but it's just mm-hmm. i could imagine a tv show with a detective mundy and I your, love it. and your girl is done no that was an those were such good stories and that was such the thing of like especially when sex work was at the truck stops Mm -hmm. i mean it still is but you know and that's a reason why things like you know kicking them off of platforms like OnlyFans and mm-hmm. stuff like that just endangers sex workers exactly mm-hmm. because through the internet they at least have some safety or mm-hmm. you know some physical yeah. distance and they're not you know pulling you know having to go up to semis at a loves and hope for the best and i will mention this um you know, I know Sheena, you, you had asked me if it's thought that she could be Olive branch could have been a victim of Samuel little. Mm -hmm. And that was my initial thought, um, several months ago when I, uh, was checking in on her case and he was actually in prison at the time of her death. So that's what he didn't do. Right. So he was, he was not involved with that. And then, uh, Hannah, you sent a link to a Facebook group that had, um, an Mm -hmm. article about a woman, 
Escataba, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the Escataba, um, Jane Doe was identified. And it's a website called dnasolves.com. And you can fundraise to help solve cold cases. And it looks like it costs about $5,000 to get the DNA in the database into for the science. Wow. So, yeah. Um, so I'm like, we, you know, w- when we get more listeners and a bigger fan base, <laughs> Yeah. Raise money for that. Yeah. Find out who, because it breaks my heart because she's the only one of those three that they still haven't identified. Um, And, you know, obviously she had lived a rough life. Yeah. Based on the condition she was found. Um, I, I will say if you Google Olive Branch Jane Doe, please, you know, trigger warning, they do have uh, postmortem photos. of her but um i'll include uh, one of the artist renderings that is probably the closest to what she looked like when she was alive um as well as photos of uh the other two victims i spoke about yeah and uh jerry johns can go fuck himself i'm not posting no photos of him no and none i know what he looks like ramen buchanan a dirt bag named jerry from tennessee you know exactly (laughs) what he fucking looks like yep yep yeah especially in the 80s (laughs) yes so yeah i mean it's like you said she she lived a rough life but she was a woman she was a human being she deserves some respect on her name right and and she deserves her name absolutely exactly yeah we need to find that out for her and for our lincoln Mm -hmm. county jane doe too yes Um, absolutely mm mm-hmm and for Molly and Pap, because yeah, I know Molly what and Pap, bless yeah. their hearts, man. They've, they've been through it. <sighs> they have. No, I just cannot imagine. Like, I mean, again, I know the embalmers have to practice on something and I'm sure it yeah. was, things were a little different in the thirties, but <laughs> God, too. Well, you know, it's funny because as we were talking, I went to look up their find a grave um, and it said they think pap died up to 70 years ago but some people remember seeing them there as early as the 50s jesus so i don't know it's just uh that is some uh, william faulkner-esque god it (laughs) for sure for (laughs) sure i'm just like rose for emily vibes yeah Uh yeah for sure for sure all right well this was a dark episode but we have enjoyed it Um, do you want to tell them what next one is going to be yeah so our next episode should come out on indigenous people's day so guess who we're celebrating indigenous people <laughs> we'll get Our, that together at some point let's, have no let's try to lighten it up a little bit i'm going to try right. to find a uh as, although yeah i don't know how well chicago has a really interesting history as far as like american indians and stuff mm-hmm, like yeah. that so that's going to be really exciting so. yeah 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 there's a, there's so much history there both you know newer people who have passed you know in the last couple decades or people from centuries ago I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many yeah. interesting people so that is who we will be celebrating and luhu do you want to tell them where they can find yes us? yes we are on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us an email to cemetery row pod at gmail.com 
<laughs> and tell don't your friends. To, yeah, tell your friends. Yes. Leave us a good review, please. Yes, yes um, it makes us feel so special when we get those good reviews. Or send. I, I've gotten a couple of Facebook messages from a lady that used to live in this area, and it just makes me feel good to yeah. uh, to see that to see that we're you know yeah only good a difference ones. To, yeah we're making a difference <laughs> to some someone right so uh keep well, all he, constructive criticism to yourself yes or be I, nice <laughs> about it be nice about it i'm gonna shout um, out juanita thank you so much for woo-hoo. sending me a facebook message oh yay yay Hi, juanita juanita, juanita yes so. <laughs> all right ladies well this was a great episode even mm-hmm. if it was tough to cover and uh y'all stay safe out there yes we'll see you next time